0: Well, good morning, church. Yes, you're with me today. My name is Glenn Griner. I have the privilege of being on staff here at Union Chapel. What an honor it is to be bringing God's word to you today. Hey, by the way, didn't you appreciate Pastor Zach's last couple messages on abiding in the Lord? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. It like hit me right here. So helpful. You need to check that out if you, weren't, if you didn't get a chance to grab a hold of that. We're kicking off a three-week series today entitled Making Happy. And the title of today's message is A Better Kind of Happy. And you know, here in the good old U.S. of A., we take our happiness seriously. In fact, we even put it into writing in the original document, which is the Declaration of Independence. Maybe this will be like a little rewind, a flashback to some of those special moments you had in history class. Here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all people are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, you were awake that day in class. Very good. And man, do we ever pursue happiness. I mean, we chase it. And I want you to think about this. As a culture, your neighborhood, the United States of America, how happy are we? How happy are we? And I want you to think about yourself. How happy are you? You see, we have this pressure that comes down on us from the culture that we live in and from our own flesh as well, that the things that make us happy are money, acceptance, fame, power, sex. Those are the things that make us happy. And we spend so much time and energy working for something that in and on its own can't deliver what we really need. I contend that our own obsession with happiness is ruining us. I can think back in my own life, not to cite specific examples, of times I've chosen my own happiness and it's made me miserable. Maybe you've done the same as well. Let's be honest. Our idea of happy is not working and we desperately need a better kind of happy. And so our scripture today is Nehemiah 8. And before we turn there, um, I want to give you a little bit of background that you might be... You might be remembering our last message as part of the first half of the story. The story is this, it's this whole year-long theme that we've had this year, going through the entire Bible and following each chapter in the book of the story to help us kind of get a chronological experience of God's Word. And so we finished up the Old Testament, and we talked about Nehemiah. And if you might remember, Nehemiah, he was a governor with King Artaxerxes, and he's a Persian, Persian king. And so Nehemiah was a Jewish guy, and King Artaxerxes said, hey, here's some money, Go rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And Hemiah said, yes. And that there's even an invitation for Jews all over the Persian empire to come to Jerusalem. And they did. And they rebuilt the wall in 52 days with all this trouble, travail. They made it happen. It was miraculous. And then they were digging around in the temple and they came across this special book, the book of the law of Moses. It hadn't been seen or read for probably 70 years So there's this all excitement about as they gather together. And so you'll probably understand today as we read the scripture, why we stand in honor of reading God's word. So if you're able, please join me on my feet as we honor God's word. And as I read Nehemiah 8, we'll start in verse one. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, which is very significant in that day. And then in addition to this, all who were able to understand. So there were some kids running around too. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon. Now don't get worried. 60, 65 minutes and we're done. You can breathe. It's going to be okay. They read it from daybreak until noon, and he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, perhaps like a stage and maybe a pulpit. And beside him on his right stood some really nice guys. Larry, Curly, Moe. I feel you. I feel you. And Ezra opened the book. And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And the Levites, yeah, some more great guys, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not grieve. And here's the statement for today. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. That is an amen. And the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because now, now they understood the words that had been made known to them. Thank you, you may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Well, we work hard at Happy, don't we? I mean, it's like our favorite national pastime. We work hard at work because we think work will make us happy. And maybe, maybe that kind of happy isn't our thing. Maybe we just party hard because we think, well, we've got to, we've got to find happiness that way. Or maybe we just relax really hard. We just really have to unwind. But no matter how much effort we put into these things in and of themselves, they can't make us happy. In fact, It's shocking to think about how unhappy we are as a culture, despite all of the effort and intentionality and work that we put into it. In fact, uh, there's surveys that have been going on for decades, and one of them is the General Social Survey. And they found that Americans are unhappier now than they've been in nearly 50 years. In fact, there's kind of been a downward turn all the way back since 1993. And obviously, COVID hasn't helped anything. The CDC did a survey of adolescent behaviors and experiences. Here's what they found. They found last year that 44% of high school students said that in the previous 12 months, they felt sad or hopeless almost every day for at least two weeks in a row, so much so that they stopped doing some of their usual activities. And about a fifth of U.S. adults, about 21%, are experiencing high levels of psychological distress, depression, anxiety, and the like. Instead of happiness going up with all of our progress, it's actually going down. What if, what if our preconceived notions of what makes us happy are wrong? Which leads us to our thought for the day. You're gonna hear it a lot, so smile. The first point is this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're gonna focus in on that word joy because happy is not enough. Happy's not enough. Happy doesn't work because happy doesn't last. Anybody understand with me that happiness has a short shelf life on it? It's like you take it off the shelf and you unwrap it and it's expired. It's gone. It hit the road. In fact, um, one of the things that's been a focus of study in the world of psychology here for a while and one of the pioneers in this is Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar and he started the most popular class in the history of Harvard University. It's called Positive psychology, 1504, dubbed the science of happiness. And since then, he's moved on. He's written books. He speaks all around the country. In fact, you can attend his university and get a degree in the happiness studies academy that he leads. And he has some insightful, insightful research and some insightful perspective as well. Here's one thing that he wrote. He said, as a society, we are emotionally bankrupt. And this comes from page 53 on his book, Happiness. He says, money and fame are subordinate to happiness and have no intrinsic value. In themselves, wealth and fame are worthless. And he cited research from the dark side of the American dream. He says, all too often we sacrifice money for happiness and it's costing us dearly. Friends, we need a better kind of happy. And what we need, what we need is the joy of the Lord. We need his joy. I want to kind of compare happiness and joy a little bit. I want you to see these two statements on the screen. We get it. Happiness is something that happens to you. But joy is something that comes out of you. Joy is something that comes through you. Where happiness is a momentary feeling, joy is something that's much deeper than that, much more stable. Because the very thing that made us happy last week doesn't make us quite so happy the next time. It's it's the whole law of diminishing returns applies to happy feelings, doesn't it? Researchers, researchers at Harvard, they've been following students and adults in, in the area of the university for years and years, and here's what they found. They survey one person, they, they rate themselves as very happy. But the next time they'll talk to them, their happiness will be way down, and then it'll be way back up. It's kind of like a roller coaster ride of emotions. And we as a culture, we've strapped in and we're on that roller coaster ride, aren't we? When we think about happiness versus luck. Happy is something that we might muster up inside of ourselves. But here's this thing about joy: joy comes from God. It comes from Him, it comes from us and the choices that we make as we serve God. So joy is something that we choose. Happy is something we experience. And so happy isn't enough, is it, friends? Where is happy when someone that you love dies? Where is happy when some of the most important relationships in your life are blowing up? Where is happy when you feel alone or depressed or uncertain of the future? I don't know about you, but happy can't even help me if I'm feeling sick. I mean, just the slightest little headache in my happiness jumps up and runs away at lightning speed. Where happy is like a mist or a vapor, just here and then gone. Joy, joy has weight. Joy has substance. You see, joy, it's what gives you hope in the midst of grief. Joy is what helps you endure when you're feeling depressed. Joy is what reminds you of who you are when you feel like a failure because joy, joy is not circumstantial. Joy can be present even in the worst and most challenging of times because joy comes from what we believe and the choices that we make. And I want you to think about the source of joy and happiness. Here's what psychology will tell you. Happiness comes from inside of you. And there's a little bit of truth to that, but I've tried pretty hard and you probably have too and I don't work so well at doing that. <laughs> I don't make happy come up as significantly and as hopefully as I want. But when you think about the source of joy, the source of joy is God himself. The source of joy is what he gives through you to other people. And joy is not circumstantial. I want us to kind of see the shift and what happened and the people that Ezra was reading to. And again, a little bit of context here you know, the Jews, they were all excited because they had completed the wall that had been built around Jerusalem. They opened this book of the law and there's all this excitement. Uh, they're standing to their feet, lifting their hands and shouting amen and bowing down in worship. And then the explanation happens. And then things start to fall apart. They became aware of their failures. Shame felt overwhelming to them. Perhaps they were even wailing and weeping in the midst of all this. I want you to see Nehemiah eight eleven on the screen. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. And the whole statement, be still, kind of took me by surprise. Now I get it, you know, if Amanda over in the kids ministry says be still because they're all squirmy and they can't, you know. Or maybe they're, it's not like everybody in the room has ADHD. Why are they moving? Why are they telling them to be still? It's because they're grieving. It's because of the pain, because here's what's happening. They're reading the book of the law of Moses, the law of Moses, and here's what's happening. They're understanding and they're seeing very clearly how their lives don't line up. And so shame is overtaking them. Maybe they're putting their hands to their head. They're walking around going, oh no, we've blown it. They started out so happy, but then they've turned to grief. Their happy moment became a shameful moment. I'm talking to someone today, whether you're online or you're right here in the room, and you're not happy with yourself. Here's what's happened shame has taken you captive and you're identifying with these thoughts that come through your mind that that don't come from you, I'm not enough. I'll never change. God would never use someone like me. I'm a failure. I'm worthless. And God is telling you, he's commanding you, choose to let go of your shame and choose his joy. Choose his freedom. Choose his life. And so instead of focusing on your failure, celebrate God's goodness, no matter how it feels in the moment, celebrate God's goodness. Instead of shrinking away in shame, run to God and thank him for his love, because he is your redeemer. He is your savior. He is your helper. The God of the universe is for you. He is not against you. Amen. Amen. That's right. And did you catch Ezra's instruction to the people in the midst of their shame? It took me by surprise when I was studying this passage. In fact, I wanna put it up on the screen. It's Nehemiah 8.10. Nehemiah said, basically he said, stop mourning, stop grieving. He said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. And here it is. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, celebrate the goodness of God, feast on the love of the Lord and give some to those who don't have any. Put down that shame and share the joy of God. Because the joy of the Lord, it's too great to keep to ourselves. In other words, invite someone to the party. Invite someone to experience all the richness and the goodness and the wonder and the love of the God of the universe as we experience him through Jesus. It's so good. As I mentioned, this year is the year of the Bible for us. We're walking through the story together. And if you've been around for that, you've seen God moving here in unusual ways. We have more people in the room. We have more people joining us online. And as of this Sunday, there'll be about 121 people we will have baptized. And so we wrapped up the Old Testament in June. What do you think is going to happen when we start talking about Jesus, about his life? about his death and his resurrection and the spread of the church what do you think's going to happen there's going to be more of God's power more of his greatness and more of his love and there are people in your life that you need to invite to the party and so start now because we're kicking that off September 11th we're kicking it. and so that gives you some time to pray that gives you some time to seek God God who's on my invitation list for you Who are you going to invite through me to be a part of things, to experience you and your goodness and your love? I tell you what, friends, you want to experience joy? i want to challenge you. Pick that up. Pick that up. Start praying for them now. Well, our second thought is this, is that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't even need notes, do you? You know what all the points are. And so we're focusing on the Lord, so we have to force our focus on God. We can't help but think about ourselves, can we? I mean, I go to sleep thinking about me. I wake up thinking about me. I daydream about me, 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 me. me. In fact, someone was teasing with me at at the end of last service. They said, Glenn, stop thinking about yourself. I was like, can you call me tomorrow morning and remind me of that? (laughs) It's great. And Ezra challenged the Jews. He He pushed them hard to celebrate God's goodness. But how did the Jewish people feel? They were focused and obsessed on themselves, weren't they? Their failure, their shame, and their shortcomings. Now, maybe you don't feel broken and ashamed. Maybe life is okay, but there's something in you that you, you know there's something more. There's something missing. And and perhaps you're thinking that there's got to be more than this. And I have a promise to you, there is more than what you're experiencing now. It's something called the joy of the Lord. And God wants you to experience Him and His goodness and His love and His grace. So, how do we miss it? We miss it by being distracted by that little thing called happiness. Do you ever get distracted by your own impulsive, happy desires? I know I do. And I, I, I must confess that I employ uh, unofficial therapy, and this one I like to call thumb therapy. You know how it works. Trying to had a stressful day, you've got to unplug. So you just do some thumb therapy. I know some of you are like, "Oh, those phones! I don't watch those phones." Well, you use your other thumb on the remote control, you know. So so don't get too hoity-toity there, you know. (laughs) Look, stress is a huge problem in our culture, and there's nothing wrong with unplugging, but you just got to be careful what you're plugging into, because you don't want to make things worse. And we're all familiar with retail therapy, aren't we? The feel good that comes when you buy something. And I can't help but think about the largest retailer in the world right now, Amazon. What what about their logo? What is their logo? It's a smile. In fact, some of you have smile packages on your front porch right now. Now, why in the world would Amazon choose such a weird logo? Because they know, they know the science behind it. They know that when you're shopping and you're looking for things, you're reading reviews, that this excitement builds. And then you click that buy button and boom, dopamine gets released in your brain, that pleasure chemical. And so you have this feel good moment. And then the package comes and you open it. This is so cool. Now, what do I do with it? (laughs) And so we, we're emotional purchasers. We buy things because they make us feel good, but the feeling doesn't last. This is my favorite therapy of all. It's refrigerator therapy. Can I get a witness in the room when you've had a bad day? You can put something good in that mouth of yours. Oh yeah. And those good feelings come. And obviously we need to eat, obviously. But here's what happens. We, we think that that the joy that comes when we eat something. I mean, we're commanded to feast and celebrate, you know, good food, sweet drinks. I mean, that's part of it, but that can't be the point. It can't be the point because here's what happens. We can't expect food to fill the emptiness of our heart. We can't expect the things that we consume to calm our spirits and our soul in a meaningful and powerful way. So we have to push past these impulses to focus on God. And here's why. We were designed. We were hardwired, custom-made by God himself to give glory, love, and adoration to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Just listen to a few of these scriptures. These these thoughts are displayed through the entire Bible. Here's just a couple. Here's one from uh, Isaiah 43, verse 7. It says bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isaiah 43, 21 says this, says that God formed you for himself so that you may proclaim his praise. Ecclesiastes three eleven says this, that God has placed eternity in the human heart. Here's my favorite one, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's okay to amen scripture. That's a good word. That's a good word. And so if these verses are true, then why don't you and I always feel so close to Jesus? In fact, If you've been following Jesus for a while, here's something that I predict you will experience, or maybe you have. There will be a season of your life when the good feelings that come from being in church, the good things that come from praying or reading the Bible, those feelings aren't there. And it can feel like God is far off. There have been times I've sung the songs that have melted my heart but then I don't feel that same emotional pull. I'm reading God's word and I don't have the insight that usually happens. I wanna challenge you. Here's what I've learned to do. Keep chasing after God. Focus on his joy. Because he will come. He'll come. And I, I don't know if it's by a coincidence or if it's this way for most people, but here's what happens to me. I'm worried because I'm not happy in Jesus, because I don't feel those good feelings that I have. And so I keep coming to him. Okay, God, I'm focusing on you. I'm worried about your happiness, Lord, more than my own. And in the midst of my praise, just about the time I've forgotten about my own pitiful self, and I'm focused on the God of the universe, that's when the joy of the Lord shows up. That's when those feelings happen because that's how we're wired up. That's what we were made to do. When you please God, you're bringing joy and contentment and love to yourself and to your heart. That's why our culture has everything backwards. This this thought has helped me recently. It's this, that God only comes on his terms. Yes, we pray. Yes, we ask. But let God come on his terms. And when your terms line up with God's terms, that's a a win-win. But God only comes on his terms. Here's this truth, friends. God is always closer than you feel. No matter how alone you feel, God is with you. No matter how bad your circumstances are, God is by your side. Hear these words from Psalms 34. It says that God is near to the brokenhearted. Hebrews 13 quotes Deuteronomy 31 with this statement about God God says I will never leave you or forsake you Jesus said I'm with you even to the end of the age I have to remind myself over and over and over my joy is in Jesus because I've done both I've tried the happiness thing and it always over promises and under delivers and I'm just being honest I can't stay away from God I can try to talk myself out of it, but I always find myself coming back to the king of the universe because God alone has what I need and he alone has what you need as well. He's the lover of your soul. He will fill you with more good things than you could ever imagine. He will challenge you, push you, and stretch you and your life will never be the same as you live for him. There is no substitute for God, no comparison. Which leads us to our third thought today. You'll never guess what this point is. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Strength is the word we're looking for because your passion determines your power. And I think the flip side of this is true too. If the joy of the Lord is your strength, happiness in yourself or joy in yourself is your weakness. That is certainly true for me. So if you want your life to be weak and lame and unfulfilling, then make it all about yourself. Look, just you imagine the most selfish person that you know. And please don't think about me. If it's me, just think about somebody else. Imagine the most selfish person that you know. And think about how happy they are. Now, you would think, you would think that if they worked really hard at making themselves happy, that they would be happy. But no, they're the most miserable people that you know. It's because they're joys in themselves. I can tell you uh, when my marriage is the weakest, when my marriage is the most unfulfilling, it's when I'm obsessed with myself. Uh, maybe your job or school is kind of sucking the life out of you. Maybe it's just like, this is so challenging and so hard for me. And so rather than, rather than you, know, uh, you know, thinking about, obsessing about your work conditions or that nutty professor that you've got, Maybe imagine taking Jesus with you to class. What's my homework? What's my assignment from you, Jesus? Or God, what's on my task list at work today with you? Now, it may not change your professor, it may not change your boss, but here's what it will change. It will change you. It'll change your heart and your perspective. And there's this danger that happens. There's this weakness that comes upon us. When we shift our focus off of God onto ourselves, and it's a little bit like getting a flat tire—like not the blowout, but the kind where you run over a screw or a nail, and you don't really even notice that you're losing air. It just comes out so slow. What happens is that we kind of just subtly shift our focus off of God onto—it's just imperceptible. You can't even tell until days go by, sometimes weeks go by, and then you realize, I'm empty, I'm flat, I've got nothing left. And the world is full of people who've, who've just slowly, slowly, slowly backed away from God as they've placed themselves as the focus of their joy in their life rather than God. So friends, don't let that be us. Don't let that be you. And see, we've gotta do the right things. Attend church, read the Bible, pray, give, serve. We don't just have to do the right things. We have to do the right things for the right reason. Or maybe this will help you more. Do the right thing for the right person. And the right person is God. Because when your heart finds joy in the Lord, there's nothing that can stop it. You will endure anything. You will do anything and you will settle for nothing less than his joy. Let Psalm 63 encourage you. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Be inspired by the apostles in Acts 5. They rejoiced because they were considered worthy of the suffering for the sake of the name of Jesus. Be inspired by Paul and Silas in Acts 16. They cast a demon out of a young girl, were beaten, thrown in stocks, in the deepest, ugliest, worst part of the prison and they were threatened with death themselves and in the midst of being beaten and chained and insulted, what did they choose to do? They chose to give joyful praise to God. Why? How could they do that? Because the joy of the Lord was their strength. And I want us to think about spiritual disciplines, but would you put that up on the screen? I want to talk about the purpose of spiritual disciplines because they're not always easy Or fun, And sometimes we can look at spiritual disciplines like homework, but those disciplines like prayer and Bible reading, meditation, fasting, fellowship, service, generosity, all those things, the purpose of them is to strengthen your joy in the Lord. So in your duty of serving God, in your duty of reaching out to him, don't miss the point. The point is to bring glory to him and experience his goodness and his love. Because they're called spiritual disciplines for a reason. They're not natural. At least they're not natural for me. If they're natural for you, don't tell me about it because that's not going to end well for you. (laughs) I can't trust my gut or my flesh. It's not helpful. The more I listen to my flesh, the weaker my joy gets. Experience God's goodness. Experience his joy. I hope you're fed up with trying to be happy. I hope you want something better. Hope you're like me. I want joy. I want the Lord's strength in me. And I know you do too. And so don't buy this lie that you need to repress your desires because your desires are wreaking havoc in your life. And yes, our sins do cause problems. Perhaps the problem is that you don't have enough passion, is that you don't have enough desire. Because when I think about what I want, what I really want, it helps me. It helps me see the goodness of God in the moment in the things that are challenging. In fact, I want you to see these questions up on the screen. Because I've got news for you Monday's coming, or maybe it'll be Tuesday or sometime. And there's temptations that are going to come your way. There's going to be distractions that want to steal your focus off of God, off of his joy, and on to your own happy. And so you have to ask yourselves these questions What do you want? Or what do I want? What do I really want? Because when what you want right in this moment is at war with what you really want of life, that's not what you want. So what are you doing to experience the freeing power of God's joy? And start by the negative. Start by thinking about your greatest challenge. What's the most likely thing to distract you from God? What's the most likely thing to take your eye off of him and then choose a spiritual discipline to work against that, to help you with that? Here's what I mean. Maybe you can identify with the people that Ezra was reading to. Maybe shame is just overwhelming to you. Maybe you just feel worthless like like you're a failure. Well, here's something that you can do. You can find truth in God's word. You can ask your your phone, tell me Bible verses who I am in Christ. And you'll get some Bible verses you can meditate on and memorize and focus on. And then you'll be able to walk away from that shame and that failure and that inadequacy. Or maybe anxiety is stealing your joy. And again, we can speak truth into our lives with God's word. Let Psalm 46 verse 1 speak to you. That whole psalm is wonderful. It says, God is my refuge and strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. Isn't that good? Having trouble keeping your focus on God? Maybe your brain is everywhere, bouncing from one thing to another. Maybe you're a stream-of-consciousness person. Here's something that helps me. I put worship music on in the background, especially when I'm doing mundane things I don't like. Or I'm doing remodeling, and things aren't going quite so well. <laughs> It has, I might not even be paying attention to the songs that much, but when my brain pauses, it goes to God. And it changes, it changes my day. It changes my attitude. Well, voila, it helps me experience God's joy. And I wanna challenge you, if you find your impulses getting the best of you, I know this doesn't happen to anybody. We never give in to fleshly temptations. Maybe it's food. Or pornography or sex or alcohol or anything you use as a crutch for pleasure i want to challenge you to try fasting try fasting now in all honesty if i fasted more it probably wouldn't be such a drudgery but i don't like fasting but i like what it produces in me because here's what happens when you're fasting when you deny yourself food when you deny yourself something you're exercising the same neural pathways that you use when you say no to something that could be really detrimental. So you say no to fasting and you ate a cheese stick or a candy bar. And well when you when you give into a desire that you don't want to give into a desire that could like ruin your relationships, make you lose your job, or wreak havoc in your life. And so here's what fasting does. The point of fasting isn't to not eat. The point of fasting is to open up your heart, to awaken the joy of the Lord inside of you. I wanna invite the worship team to come up at this time. And as we think about God's goodness and his love and his presence, I just wanna challenge you to remind yourself, say it out loud every morning, it's not about me, it's about you, Lord. Be inspired by John the Baptist when he said, He must increase, pointing to Jesus, but I must decrease. And I love the words of Jesus, which mean a lot more now. He said, If you want to save your life, you will lose it. (laughs) But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So, friends, don't settle for happy, live your life for joy the kind of joy that is supernatural, the kind of joy that is eternal, the kind of joy that comes only from God himself. Well, before we pray, I wanna invite our friends who are gonna be baptized to come on up. We're baptizing people today. It's so exciting. So go ahead, get up, make your way and stand over by the baptistry. We'll help line you up and get things ready for that. It's a wonderful celebration. It's so, so good. As our friends come up there, friend, let's just bow our heads and pray. Would you just close your eyes? Jesus, we come before you. No matter how joyful we are, we know there's more, Jesus. But most of us, most of us have been chasing happy. And God, we repent. We ask that you would change our hearts. And so we just wanna choose to do business with you and in the privacy of your own mind and your own heart, I want you to think about your hang-up, whatever your biggest distraction is. You got that in your mind? You bringing that up? Now, as you see that, ask God, what's my response? Is it fasting, prayer, worship? What are you gonna build into your life? How is Monday going to be different to help you connect with God's joy? And as you imagine that, he just promised God with me, I promise I'm gonna do this God help me to do this because as much as you want to experience God's joy he wants you to experience so much more and so God we give ourselves to you afresh and anew and Jesus we realize that the greatest joy of all is giving our lives to you and maybe you've realized that your emptiness comes from the fact that you haven't made a commitment to Christ And together, in the privacy of your own mind, you can say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. And with all that I am, I commit myself to you. I ask for your forgiveness. So come into my life, Jesus. Help me be the person that you want me to be as I choose to live for you and experience your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, church, let's stand to our feet as we sing to Jesus and celebrate our friends being baptized.